Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another great episode. We have a very special select handful of guests tonight, uh, which is uh, we will introduce to you in just a moment. But if any of you have seen the fan film series on YouTube, Bucket Heads, you can look forward to this one. Uh, we got a good discussion in store uh, with, uh, with our guests here, and uh, we're just going to dive right in. See you in there. Welcome back, and uh, Dan, welcome back. Uh, you've been on for a few weeks now, so everyone knows who you are. Thank you, thank you. Glad, Always happy to be back. Yeah, thanks for coming back on, man. And um, honestly, it's kind of weird, like, launching in without any background music. We've been doing Ahsoka after shows for the last couple of weeks, and we've been hearing the, <laughs> the, the theme song behind me. I miss that <laughs> epic song. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, what the heck? I mean, I can just kind of like play a little bit. All right, just for nostalgia. <laughs> All right. Um, Calvin, uh, hello. Welcome back, sir. Uh, we It's been a hot minute yeah. since you've been on. It's good to be back in the old escape pod, yeah, Josh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming back. And uh, there is a uh, another good reason why you are back this evening. Is it to premiere the sting that you created for me? <laughs> well uh you have had some involvement with with buckethead so we could chat about that but yes that as well uh we all know that whenever you're on it's a fan favorite episode so oh, you know, thank you yeah every time i was trying to remember what was the last time you were on again? i think it was um the holiday special holiday special which i think we need to do a revisit it i think you should yeah. invite the two guests we have on today as well so. definitely definitely that's happening <laughs> <laughs> uh next up um, i would love to be there too oh of course of course we'll make it a party um marco hello hello there hello and uh if you can introduce yourself to our audience uh, maybe just a just like a sentence or two as to who you are and and what you do I can probably do that. Uh, my name is Marco Basso. I'm one of the co-creators co-producers co-directors co-everything on Bucketheads the web series that you guys just mentioned. And thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for, thanks for being here. And uh, Andy, hello, hello. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm the other guy. I'm uh, Andy Brown, the other co-everything Marco said, uh, co-creator of Bucketheads and uh, a cinematographer here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. And... Uh, you also have uh, another friend of, of yours here, um, Adam. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So uh, Andy and I are members of the same camera union guild, and we've worked on projects over the years, and we're both really into Star Wars. And sort of funny enough, through word of mouth of 
tertiary friends, I actually found out that Andy and Marco were creating this this great fan film called Bucketheads, and I started to research and find videos. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I really want to work on that. And I uh, haven't actually had the opportunity to help out yet due to uh, differing schedules, but huge fan, huge supporter, love it, and uh, super stoked to support these guys and uh, their love of Star Wars. Well, we need to change that soon, Adam. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for being here, Adam. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pockets Heads, guys, like, it's, um, it's awesome. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I, I watched... Um, I've watched it, <laughs> which uh, would be weird if I hadn't already. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have who have who've listening already checked it out. But Josh is watching uh, it right now on his Chromebook, cool. actually, for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh. I've, I've, got, I've got my notes up, actually. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, to a lot of people who, who maybe ha- are listening who have not um, seen it, uh, perhaps maybe uh, can you guys tell us a little bit about transmute pictures and uh sort of a little bit about bucket heads uh, as well definitely um yeah so transmute pictures is is marco and my production company uh we started making bucket heads under it we've actually uh created a not-for-profit company called the twin sun film foundation now and that handles bucket heads um That's we a run a name. patreon online Thank you. Didn't didn't think of it. Marco, I think that was you who got that one. I, I think I wanted something about Bantha Poodoo Productions, but he <laughs> shot me down. Well, it was already taken. And also, I do have to take responsibility here for a major poodoo that I did because it's called Twin Sun Film Foundation no. when it should have been Twin Suns, which was simply a typo oh, on no. the application. So uh, now this is just who we are. And every time I tell some of the, the, the company name, I have to spell it out because they're like, like sun is in like the son of a father or like the bright oh, ball no. in the sky. It's always. Yeah. It's like, are you, are you a twin but... son or are we talking about the yeah, twin exactly. son? <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue I love the same it. way. That's, that's for sure. But... That's such a good story though. You're, you're probably getting tired of telling it, but that's pretty funny. Well, Actually, I think this is, the, this is the first time he's immortalized it in a, a podcast uh, <laughs> as such. But uh, yeah, so so we uh, now run a not-for-profit called the Twin Sun Film Foundation, non-pluralized sons. <laughs> and uh, through a Patreon that we run online, uh, we're able to generate some funds to make this thing. And Bucketheads itself is a Star Wars fan film uh, set during the Fractured Empire era. Uh, after the original trilogy, and our story follows the perspective of a group of stormtroopers, a squad of stormtroopers, uh, sort of navigating the Civil War and really leaning into the perspective of the grunts and people who, you know, aren't generals and don't have the full understanding of the Force and sort of what's at play. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so cool. You know, it's such a co- cool kind of story to watch because it's not often that people get to watch a Star Wars story that's like that, right? Like I think the closest thing that we've had is is probably from the opposite side of the war and in the rebellion's perspective with Andor, which was an amazing show and, you know, just really got into the nitty gritty of what it's like, you know, to be a an average Joe, <laughs> you know, in the war and, you know, just a, just another trooper with a with a with a bucket, I guess, you know. Uh so yeah, super, super neat perspective on on Star Wars. And uh, you guys currently have a prologue and a chapter two, um, Ground Zero. Is that the subtitle of the first season or the, the title of the chapter two? 
That is just the title of the first episode. Um, it's a bit confusing because we had to very much adapt to our evolving situation. So what we're releasing as chapter one prologue, chapter two, and chapter three is what was originally conceptualized as the first episode subtitle Ground Zero, which is about 40 minutes of television, the way it was originally conceived and written. But because we realized because of our scope creep and our ambition that mm -hmm. it would take multiple years to just produce the first episode and nobody likes to wait this long, we decided to instead release it in three parts, so to speak. So the chapters themselves don't have subtitles because they make up a single episode. And there's uh, four additional episodes to make up the first season. Uh, but right now we're just focused on finishing the first episode as it was originally conceived. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's, um, that's that, yeah, that, that, that kind of makes sense in my head. Yeah. When I think about it, uh, so you, will you guys post a master, like cut up like all four parts of the first episode once you're done? Yeah. Yes. So there 100%. will be a, a standalone release of chapter three. And then shortly after there will be a special ed edition TM that is just nice. all three parts their original uh, version with maybe some additional CGI foreground creatures to really bring it yeah. that extra pizzazz, you know, and uh, perhaps added, adding, yeah. adding some some yeah, some, some like droid, some ADR some of people yelling fighting. no or stuff like that, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> really subtle <laughs> stuff. We're talking, guys. Really yeah, subtle yeah. stuff. <laughs> Only what serves the story, yep. right? But for those uh, for those listening, uh, coming in at just over twelve minutes for the prologue and over seventeen minutes for chapter two, that's that that is close to thirty minutes of like super high quality material, um, you know, to be involved in as a as a as like a passion project, right? Like that takes a lot of people to organize and dish out tasks to. So um, maybe one of you can kind of elaborate on just kind of the the scope of work involved in 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 a undergoing like this uh yeah i mean it's honestly it's been an immense undertaking like this thing has taken on a life of its own outside of marco and myself uh which we're super appreciative of you know it, it has only we've only been able to create such um you know fantastic content and and such a good bit of it already because of this army of volunteers that we have uh that have, have helped us do everything um I think sort of during the slow periods of production, which kind of at almost any time, uh, scheduling has been an, another nightmare on this, as you can imagine, with a, a volunteer army and trying to respect everyone's schedules, but still find times that we can come together and do this stuff. Um, so production is sort of always ongoing. And during slow periods, I want to say we probably have a minimum of like 35-ish people doing things at any given time. And then when we, uh, you know, get geared up for principal photography and into actually shooting it, uh, it generally is somewhere between 70 and 100 volunteers uh, helping out. Um, wow. so, so totally just an immense amount of, of work and, and people at all times, you know, doing things as best they can with their day jobs, you know, in mind always as well. Um, and and we've really, you know, we we, we do try to, make this look as uh, best as, as humanly possible. It was sort of one of the uncompromising uh, aspects Marco and I had right out of the gate was that we were going to do this and we recognized either we could do it in a reasonable time frame or we could just sort of do it when it's done, but have it look really good. And, and we definitely both felt we wanted it to look fantastic and be, you know, something that we could showcase for 
a long time and have everyone be very proud of. So uh, we, we got less concerned about timelines and more just that we wanted to make sure that what we were putting out there was really quality work. And we were really fortunate that the our passion for this project seemed to be a lot of other people's passion that worked in the film industry or were prop makers, costume makers, people that aren't necessarily in the film industry but have contributed a lot to the Star Wars community out there already. And through many fortunate coincidences and just word of mouth, so to speak, more and more people joined this project and contributed con- contributed things that we either needed or didn't even know we needed. And it just culminated into what is now Bucketheads. It just sort of grew on its own. It's really cool to see. But- yeah. And, and speaking just of, of sort of scope of work, I mean, we, we really haven't ever shied away from any particular practices with this either. You know, it's it's been a point of... Um, education for everybody on the team uh, to to get to try things they don't normally get to or or have a reason to try, um, you know, or stepping up into that next position. Um, but I mean, we we do miniature filmmaking. We have virtual production. We've got obviously fantastic traditional post uh, uh, VFX. Thanks, Kelvin. Um, <laughs> you know, we we don't shy away from any particular process or practice. So um, th- there is a very big scope of work because we're we're trying to uh, incorporate you know, every aspect that we can, that we think will just make this the, the best piece it can be. Yeah. And I've, I've been on set with you guys a couple of times and I'm always impressed at just how many volunteers you have, how like professional your crew is and just the level of talent that you guys seem to consistently bring together. And you mentioned like the scheduling and I can only imagine like how difficult <laughs> that is to schedule that many people. Yeah. Um, like I remember the first time I, visited the set and I was expecting like a few dudes with a camera and there was like, you guys had like everything and you had a full crew and lighting, lighting kit and everything. And I was like blown away. Um, but you mentioned, um, scope creep and I'm curious, um, like if you could talk about that, like how much of the project is kind of how you intended from the beginning and how much of that is like, you mentioned scope, like the scope and the ambition slowly creeping on you guys. I think it's, it's, um, it's every department has, a, ha, how do I say that? There's one person at the center of each department that loves Star Wars and has a ton of ambition in their craft. And that spills into the project. So I have, I, I guess I can bring two examples to this. One, uh, and Calvin is going to appreciate that, uh, on the VFX side, for example, uh, the prologue opens with a massive space battle. And what we conceptualized was a much, much smaller snippet of that. But then our head animator, Brandon, uh, just came to us with so many ideas and just wanting to make it bigger and bigger and having like this almost, I think, 40 second single take opening that was uh, very, very ambitious to get through. Uh, but he did it. And uh, when he dropped off the full animation layout to our VFX supervisor, his head sort of exploded because he was like, uh, I, I don't <laughs> think we can do this, guys, in the time frame we have. So we just expanded the time frame. And the same is true for construction, for example. Um, for chapter two, we, uh, we asked our construction coordinator, Caleb, um, for just a wall of a building to stage Coruscant against. And he just build a whole city block basically on his own accord. And we're like, well, I mean, we have it now, so we should use it. And we wrote that entire scene. (laughs) Yeah, we certainly saw it happening, you know, in front of us. Um, But I mean, Marco's right. Like they're, you know, 
there are so many people working on this and there is so much talent that it would be foolish for us to to sort of stonewall so many amazing ideas and concepts that people put forward and and offers that people have to make this better and better um you know we're not that precious about our own story we recognize the elements that we want to keep ingrained in it and and things that need to stay but we are open to, to people's ideas and and incorporating them and you know i think when you're working with this many high level professionals you'd, you'd be really foolish not to listen to these people wow that's yeah. great that you guys are collaborative like and it shows on screen like your production value is fantastic <laughs> Oh, hundred percent. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and yeah honestly, yeah, thanks. It, it is. It's so much of the team. You know, I, I, I love what Marco and I do for the project, but I have to really constantly shout out that that there are so very many talented people putting in the the blood, sweat, and tears to to make this. Oh man, you know, it, 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 it's making me emotional because you know, like Disney, I, I always get kind of fired up about stuff that some of the stuff that Disney does, and you know, they got the big bucks to just toss around and hire the people they need to work on stuff, but. Like, this is just, you know, like, like you said, like the way that it kind of grows with just people who are so passionate about Star Wars and, you know, they're, they're just doing it because they love Star Wars. Like, you know, like you guys, you know, putting this whole thing together and then having all these people jump on board and, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, it, it just blows me away. Like just how many people would kind of do that just so lovingly, you know what I mean? Like, um, Yeah. That's for special. sure. And I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky and it was also somewhat targeted, like choosing the Star Wars universe. I mean, we, Marco and I both love the Star Wars universe there, but there was numerous reasons and, and facets to why we chose sort of a, a, an initial creation of Marco and mine. This was the first project we, we made when we partnered together initially. Um, and we already had some assets at play. We both love Star Wars, but we also recognize that we could probably get some help on mm-hmm a Star Wars project uh, because everybody's always dreamed of doing something in the Star Wars world. And as long as, you know, we could bring a, a degree of professionalism and sort of build the environment for these people to really play in, you know, that that's kind of what we felt needed to happen to, to acquire some very high level professionals. And um, thankfully we were, we were able to achieve that. Yeah. And it's, I can only reiterate how much it helped having Star Wars as a backdrop to this production because whenever we needed something that was way out of reach financially, usually we could wiggle away in somehow by saying, hey, it's a Star Wars thing. It's a fan <laughs> production. So no one's making money of it. We don't have money. Do you want to help us? And more, more often than not, the answer was just like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Mm. Uh, that's how we also managed to get uh, studio space to get virtual production uh, stuff in, involved into this uh, and so many artists wanting to help out because yeah people are just so passionate about star wars yeah oh, absolutely yeah you know it's it's um reminds me i think that's how star wars celebration started too mm. like the the convention it started as being just kind of a fan organized thing and it sort of has now been transformed into this official thing that happens every year or two right and yeah. just thousands upon thousands of people go and i, I remember like Myself and and uh, Bryce and Blake were were there in 2017 in Orlando, and um, I don't think I'd have ever had a more humbled moment when I was standing in this lineup of people that seemed to go on for just forever, dude. Like just like all the way, like you know, I, I've never been in a lineup that big, like yeah. ever, right? And then going inside this big convention hall and seeing just how many people like like took the time out of their like you know their day or their months or whatever, like to create this amazing costume and mm. 
you know, lug it halfway around the world to Florida just so that they can wear it with everyone else. And, you know, thousands of people like going for like Mandalorian photo ops and chanting. And, you know, it's just like, what the heck? Like, (laughs) like, this is crazy. You know, like, um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And you guys have, you know, found so many, uh, uh, awesome people to help out with this thing. You know, it's, um, that's, that's amazing. And it's really, it really shows like the production value of this is, you know, it's, it's like the best I've ever seen for, for any kind of online, you know, fan film series. Like, like, like it's, it's, uh, uh, and I gotta say like the way that it's lined up so well with a lot of in canon events, like huge props, you know, for a lot of that. Um, because, uh, you know, the real like hardcore fans notice that kind of thing. That's awesome. I really appreciate you mentioning this. We, we certainly try to uh, anchor it around established events so that it doesn't feel like just a random story that we transmit into Star Wars, but something that's actually set in that period that we're using as a backdrop. And it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, Annie and I consume all the Star Wars media because we, 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 we love it. So when we see an opportunity to like weave in a reference to you know something that happened, happened in the Battlefront 2 campaign or mm-hmm. in you know uh any of the other movies or or shows then uh it's always fun to just sneak that in there and see who notices i i have to admit jumping off that that i don't always consume all of the media unfortunately i wish i could claim that i was the smartest star wars person in this room but i'm probably not but something that that has been stupidly fun uh, you know coming from the project was was just doing research to make sure that we knew what we were talking about and setting this around canonical events and you know, I, I have learned so much about Star Wars in, in doing this project. Um, I already knew that it was a massive, expansive universe, and there's just so much to know and see and look at and read about. Um, but it's been really cool doing that research and, and just learning more and, and getting a better understanding, you know, of characters and, and different moments. Um, yeah, it's mm-hmm. been a ton of fun. I, I got to ask about one, that. One of the cool things... Go, go ahead, Dan. One, one of the cool things you guys do is, like, you put us in the mindset of, you know, just regular stormtroopers. And like you, one moment I really loved on uh, the prologue was when they're in indoor and they look up and they see the Death Star explode. And then there's that one trooper that goes like, Emperor, save us. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, to them, like, that's a pivotal moment. They're like, oh, crap. Like, you know, our base just exploded and probably like thousands of their friends and family just died. Mm-hmm. Like it's cool putting yourself into somebody else's shoes instead of just seeing the rebels point of view. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate that you mentioned that. And, and um, sorry, I think it was Josh off the bat had sort of mentioned that Andor was kind of in, in a similar vein to Bucketheads or, or vice versa. Bucketheads was in a similar vein to Andor um, thematically in a sense. And, and I thought that was actually really funny because the um, uh, origin of this, of, of Bucketheads was actually after seeing uh, Rogue One which is obviously the sequel to Andor. Oh, wow. Uh, mm. Yeah, and, and feeling sort of the gravity of the war more than I had felt it prior. And also from, uh, you know, maybe not quite a grunt. Jyn Erso did have quite a special dad, but a, a grunt-ish type position. You know, someone who doesn't know everything and have a full understanding and is just kind of being lumped into this massive war with bigger stakes than anything they're keenly aware of, at least, you know, uh, from the get-go. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that, uh, Dan, you are able to be transported into someone else's perspective. We definitely, you know, have, have always tried to, to ingrain that with this piece and, and showcase what it's like to be, 
you know, not the generals or the kings or the queens or everybody in the know, but some of the, the lesser individuals just kind of going about your life in this war. Yeah, if, if I may add to that, um, it was, I think, in my mind, Star Wars is best when it's not telling us the story of the one or someone that sort of whose story is interwoven with the destiny of the universe. When it's the little man's story, that's when Star Wars really shines as a as a universe. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point to make because, uh, you know, I think that's where I think a lot of the original trilogy hits a lot of people uh, at home rather than the prequels because uh, it's it's sort of Luke's story who's a farm boy who doesn't necessarily have this, you know, chosen one sort of, sort of uh, destiny in front of him, whereas, you know, Anakin does. You know, Anakin's got this this chosen one prophecy that kind of looms over his entire story arc and it sort of changes i guess you know how people can connect with that character um what you guys mentioned the battlefront 2 campaign i just want to i just want to bring that up real quick because um you know from the planning of this story was it was it like from the beginning like did you did you sort of know we're gonna we're gonna do this like sort of post return of the jedi in a way and overlap it kind of like how battlefront 2 sort of overlapped with return of the jedi and sort of work that in like was there kind of an initial push to kind of get that implemented uh right it right away like when you're in the planning phase the battlefront 2 campaign was definitely an inspiration for the story that we ended up laying out for the series because it's just such a perfect jumping off point in terms of a canonical event to jumpstart our story um, obviously, that scene when the Death Star explodes and we see it from the troopers' perspective, that's something that was done in that campaign. And I think it was the strongest part of that campaign. And after that, it just kind of, it went a little downhill because, you know, the whole switching sides, usual, blah, blah, that no one really likes. <laughs> um, yeah. So we were like, Let, let's take the good part and just go from there and make it our own. Mm. Um, so yeah, Battlefront 2 was definitely an inspiration when we conceptualized this. Uh, the other piece of Star Wars media that we took sort of as a guide for the framework of canonical events to hit alongside our story was um, the, I believe it's the third book in the series uh, from Chuck Wending, um, Empire's End, mm-hmm. I think it's called. So yeah. it's, it's been some time. Um, that was, uh, that was focused about on the, the, the original book. Yeah, the the, the third. We're talking about the the last Empire part of yeah. Dark Empire. The the aftermath. Yeah, you're talking aftermath, right? Aftermath, Correct, trilogy, yeah. right? Aftermath yeah. from the yeah, that's correct. Um, that's we 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 took a bunch of uh, events from that book as well from that story to just root our story into that timeline. Awesome. Yeah, we it, in in chapter two we do mention uh, Operation Cinder verbally and we really wanted to give some canonical context as to why something like a decimation order would be enacted um empire-wide you know for the for the bad guys but that does have some historical context uh you know in in humanity for being something so we just felt that it it could help paint a, a good picture in people's minds as to why this occurred by mentioning operation cinder and that hopefully, you know, a larger swath of the audience would be more familiar with what that story is and, and why, you know, why it's a turncoat story and why uh, these new rules were sort of implemented around it. And mm-hmm. you probably all noticed the the absence of an opening crawl that is so typical of Star Wars. Uh, we just wanted to avoid that it being closer to the 
TV shows and not the movies. And we just feel as storytellers, it's just a more elegant way to convey information if it's if it's sort of like more hidden in the story rather than just spelling it all out in the beginning with a bunch of text. Right. And your guys' opening title sequence is so, so cool. It's so like, good. It's like HBO level. Like, oh, yeah. It's so good. The macro, like miniature kind of like low poly style yeah it's so cool it's it's awesome I, you know that's actually kind of that's on my list of things to ask you about like where where was that what kind of inspiration sort of helped that sort of come to be part of the project and and who who did all that because you know it's amazing i wish we, we could take credit for yeah <laughs> <laughs> we we got so lucky with this company um in in what after we had created the first uh the standalone uh, short film. I, I think we were still in post for it, obviously. Um, but we were starting to do like some, some marketing and just get it out there. So people knew it was coming. And I was hitting Reddit pretty hard, trying to get uh, some kind of following going on there. And uh, that was not successful by any means. I could get very little traction, no matter what I did or where I posted. However, with the very few comments that came back, uh, one of them was from a guy, uh, uh, out of this company, it's got Stealth out of Australia, and they do like title graphics and title sequences. Mm. And he saw the poster that I had had posted, just kind of announcing this was coming. And we started talking, and we showed him, uh, you know, the short film in its current state, and they loved it, and they just jumped on board and and asked how they could help us. And um, they both both ideas. So there's two different title sequences: one for the standalone short film, and one for uh, season one, uh, they came up with both concepts. I mean, we helped them, you know, refine them and just give notes and stuff, but truly these were their concepts and they absolutely knocked them out of the park. The The first one, the standalone short film feels so James Bond to me. Mm-hmm. I love it with the yeah. little stormtroopers running around the helmet and doing their things. And then, uh, they, they, uh, leaned into micro machines. I believe they were called like mm-hmm. a toy line from, mm-hmm. yeah. Like the '90s, um, yeah, and that was for the the second sequence for um, season one, uh, which you can see a lot of you know the style well, that, in there. That's what was so great about it is it ties into that nostalgia of you know playing with the Star Wars toys, which I'm sure most of us have have done mm. when we were kids and like yeah, hundred percent, yeah, yeah. It gives you very much that that feeling of nostalgia and and. Yeah, brings you back to playing with all those toys. I, I remember having so many myself. I still have many. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, j- just just out of curiosity, um, did either of you, because uh, um, um, what's it called? Aftermath, uh, Empire's End. Uh, did, did you guys read that novel or, or, or the Inferno Squad, Battlefront 2 book or, or, or Twilight Company or any of those? I did, yeah. I read that novel in its entirety as well as the Infernal Squad one. Um, I mean, do you, do you are you asking my opinion or? Oh, just just curious, you know, just curious. I mean, um, you know, I find I find things that we read can sometimes have an influence on the things that we do. Uh, you know, things that we create or whatever. Um, was there any any sort of sort of factual things in in those stories that sort of played up in in Bucketheads? Like in, in it was really stuff. only this. It was just this one book because we actually, and when I say the one book, I mean Aftermath from, uh, I mean Empire's End from Aftermath. I'm sorry. It's been some time. Yeah. Um, we specifically adopted two characters from that novel, uh, Gallius Rax and Ray Sloan. 
they are part of our story as well as sort of, let's call them primary and secondary villains, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to make sure we, we, we get them right uh, and use them as, uh, again, as, as anchor points for our story. Uh, we sort of created our story around the main points that these two characters hit in terms of the plot of that, that book uh, to make sure that we are true to established lore and not going against it or retconning anything that's already been established. Yeah. yeah, so like there are there are some major story beats throughout uh, season one that lean into canonical happenings, canonical events, um, and we wanted to make sure that we were using things like that as a guideline for where the story sh- should go and you know ultimate resolution, kind of of the greater world. We didn't want to try and do anything too new in that sense, but we we do have an entirely original cast of uh, stormtroopers and some original characters. But as Marco said. Uh, Ray Sloan and Gallius Rax, obviously we've, we've adopted. Great, great choices to, to throw in there, you know, perfect, perfect time frame and stuff to use them too. Um, lots of people involved on this project at Calvin, you know, you're, you know, very, uh, involved as well, <laughs> or with the, you know, you have a, uh, a Leo, I guess that, uh, this, this, the, the project, yeah, the project won a Leo for best visual effects, which was really cool. Um, I was in Ireland and I got back and found out that we had won, and it was really exciting. Yeah. Um, but as as the guys have mentioned before, um, Brandon is the is the one to really uh, really appreciate for the the quality of work. Um, my part was definitely definitely small. Um, I definitely um, appreciate the work that he did, just as far as the animation, and um, I know he studied those like those original trilogy dog fights and came up with came up with a, s- a sequence for for season uh, for at least for episode one and i know that he's continued working on it for the um the unreleased uh portions but just the, yeah. the amount of work that he's done in creating the the dog fights and kind of pacing the scenes and um i'm actually curious to hear like from mark and andy how much input you guys had in like the choreography of the scenes um, cause it's quite, quite spectacular what he's done and what you, what the team has done. The it's, way it went. Been... Yeah, you go, you go. The way it went was <laughs> Brendan sent us a shot and we were just like, holy shit guys, <laughs> what the heck? Yes. More. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been largely his vision. Uh, that's the best way to say it. Largely his vision. Absolutely. Um, we've given, you know, a bit of input where, like st- for story elements, things that might need to happen or cinematography too, like lensing a little bit mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but for the most part, this has definitely been a, a, a baby of his to PC sequences together. And um, it's been really cool, honestly, to, to work them into the story. And, you know, again, when Marco and I kind of dreamt it up, it's like, okay, so we need like a 25 second cool action piece to get us going in here. And Brandon's like, okay, here, how about this like two and a half minute really intense thing? And we're like, whoa. Uh, okay we love it can we get it made yeah it's quite (laughs) also fun fact um go ahead sorry real quick um the 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 cutaways to the tie pilots that are part of that sequence we filmed way later um after the sequence was already done and we were already filming chapter two and the way we did it was we played back the finished VFX sequence uh, so create reflections and, and lighting on our actors 
So the 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 lighting you see on there on on the on the armor is the actual space battle that they are mm-hmm. in currently. Uh, which it was a super neat experience. I think when when we filmed that was the first time that uh, I was just in complete Star Wars heaven. I was just like, this is it. <laughs> that's We're making cool. Star Wars right now. That's <laughs> awesome. That's I mean that's sort of in 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 line with I guess what they're doing now with with all the stuff in the volume and you know stagecraft and uh, the LED screens and everything like that. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I yeah, mean absolutely. we we definitely we started doing virtual production because. Uh, they came out with it in the, in the Mandalorian season one. I mean, different forms of virtual production have existed for, you know, 30-ish years. Uh, but they really sort of showcased to the audience what was possible with Unreal Engine through some of their BTS stuff that they released. And I mean, that was, you know, Marco and I watched that, obviously loved season one Mandalorian. And we're just like, holy cow, you know, as did most of the film industry, holy cow, how can we get our hands on this <laughs> technology? Yeah. Um, but we, we certainly didn't shy away from it once we saw the Mandalorian using this. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's, it's an amazing tool. Um, the, the music uh, throughout this entire project is, is, uh, is amazing. It's unbelievable. And you know, the intro as well, again, but going back to that, it's, it's amazing music choice. Um, I noticed Samuel Kim involved with the, the, the score. Um, and uh, perhaps one of you might, might know a bit more on, on kind of what that collaboration was like and, you know, the choices going into the, 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 the beginning credits and the end credits song choices. Like if you guys could chat, chat about that for a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Samuel Kim has been a long time collaborator of ours. I met him almost a decade ago. Uh, I, I think he was still in film school or just fresh out of film school. Um, and I met him on a random project uh and was immediately just like this kid can compose i i need to uh keep him close so to speak <laughs> um so um he was totally down to to do the short film with us back in 2017 18 um and then he decided to start a youtube channel and totally blew up um but still hung around to do bucket hits with us uh for the prologue and for chapter two uh, unfortunately, for chapter three, uh, he's no longer with us. Uh, he had to sort of take a sabbatical for personal reasons. Uh, but his sound is definitely a huge part of why Bucketheads feels so real and so firmly rooted in the Star Wars universe. We've, we've had tons of uh, conversations about how much we want to uh, put it in the realm of John Williams versus the more modern mm. Ludwig Göransson style of Star Wars. Um, and ended up sort of in a marriage of the two, depending on the type of scene. Like the space battles are very much John Williams. Everything on the ground is more modern. Mm. Um, and we played around with some other elements as well, just to make it our own. Um, I th- believe for the short film, we, we were heavily inspired by Hans Zimmer's work on Dunkirk and that constant ticking that... Mm-hmm just keeps you on edge and like a like a downwards um sort of <laughs> incline of the music that just invokes dread stuff like that we, we had a ton of fun crafting the the sound of those scenes and the show in general uh but he only made the sounds uh the opening song uh and the closing song are from someone completely unrelated and i think that is best if andy tells that story because it was very much his deal <laughs> Uh, oh, the closing. Oh, yes. Um, I, I was just going to say as well, I, it's always been funny doing any of the sound um, uh, 
composing on this with Marco and Sam because they're they're both such excellent musicians. Mm-hmm. And you know, half of the battle of a producer or director or cinematographer is is talking the talk. <laughs> and so sitting in the sound booth with these guys or or the composing room or one of their suites or wherever the heck we're doing it is is always been a little bit daunting for me mm-hmm. trying to keep up with with two very experienced people around, you know, music uh, musically inclined. So um, definitely thankful that that both of them have been a, a big part of the project because uh, on my own, you know, I, I have to hum out a lot of things for people to understand <laughs> what I'm trying to say. It's worked out. Yeah. It's worked out. It's worked out. I, I, I yeah, the listened. opening and oh, go go for it. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say like I, I've listened to a lot of uh, Samuel Kim's sort of sort of Star Wars beats that he puts up on on YouTube. So you know, the name was inc- you know very recognizable like, right away. <laughs> Yeah, we we were so happy and and felt blessed when when he agreed to join the project and and do this with us. It's been a, a really cool undertaking working with him. Yeah. The uh the the opening and closing songs. Yes, I, I do have a funny story around um Teller in the Tale as uh, is the uh gentleman's stage name. And uh, how did this happen? What Marco, were we living together at that point? We were looking for musicians you, for th- You thought your then girlfriend knew him personally, but she didn't. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so maybe we weren't we weren't living together at that time. I can't remember, but we were looking for like the sound of what was going to be Buckethead's. And my girlfriend at the time turned me on to one of this guy's songs on YouTube, and I thought she said something along the lines of like oh, I know him and like we're friends and like you could try him if you like his sound. And I really did. And I can't remember if she had found an email for me or if I just found one myself, but I typed up this big message like, here's my girlfriend's name and like she knows you apparently and I'm a filmmaker (laughs) and, you know, do you want to try something? They didn't know each other at all. Um, I completely misread that situation. But he was still super jazzed, and he was like, "But you know, this this seems cool. What you guys have going on, and and let's talk." And uh, sure enough, it all worked out. We we got to work with him, and he created some uh, original scores for us, and it, it's really worked out for both parties because those those songs have definitely blown up on uh, streaming platforms. It's pretty amazing. And to further much, that, both can... both songs that ended up in the show are the first draft, respectively, that he sent us. Like, there was no process. He was just like, here, I'm, I'm, I made a song, take it or leave it. And we're like, this is perfect, thank you. <laughs> I think he allowed a little bit of process. Like, he wasn't anything, it wasn't anything bad, but we were just like, yeah, wow, these are awesome. Like, we are happy to use these. Yeah. It's so crazy how, um, how like, just asking nicely so many times can just work out. And I'm curious yeah. how, how much of it is, how much do you guys think is because people love Star Wars and how much is it because like you guys are genuinely just great people and you're good at communicating and good at, uh, good at networking. Yes. Oh, am I going to be humble or not? That's the question. <laughs> Here's your chance. Here's your chance, Andy. <laughs> take it and run, take it and run. No, realistically, I mean, I think, I think it is, it is. I, I think it's important when you're getting on a project, anybody, you know, that, that has worked in uh, gig economy or the film industry or anything like that probably resonates with this, but it's important to enjoy the people you're working with when you're doing big, long projects like this. So I'm sure there is a big degree of, you know, the fact that Marco and I put ourselves out there and we are happy to, to bust ass and go and build stuff, move things and spend our weekends and, you know, not just... Um, not just direct people around, but also to sort of help lead the charge and be there and be boots on the ground. And 
I think that's definitely helped bring some attraction to the project, but I'm not, I'm not kidding myself here that Star Wars probably was the first thing that got the glint in the eye. But to sum up our number one rule of indie filmmaking, don't be an asshole. It's very easy. (laughs) It turns out it's pretty easy not to. Um, How do you guys keep keep people engaged, though? I always find that that's the hardest thing with this kind of work is a lot of people get really excited at the beginning. And then as soon as the hard work sets in, that kind of uh, romantic feeling of like, I'm super pumped kind of fades. How do you guys manage to keep people engaged for such a long period of time? Oh, question, my friend. I mean, again, I think part of it is being the boots on the ground. You know, it's a lot harder for people to back out when you tell them that you're going to give them a ride there and back in the morning. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and we do one. that plenty. That's um, a really good one. You know, I'll when we you go up. to the studio to build and stuff. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and, and there, there's many of a, a, additional journeys that we have to make sometimes when things don't work out and whatnot. But um, I, I think just... Yeah, being being a leader type and, and just showcasing that you're also in it to win it. You know, you've got skin in the game. You're not just behind a keyboard or answering phone calls and directing people around. I think definitely helps people stay uh, attached and wanting to to give effort towards this. And I think the product as well is, is a big part of that too. You know, again, Marco and I, out of the gate, we're like, if this has to take years, it has to take years, but we can't have a bad product to show at the end of this. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to allow that. 100%. Um, and that, that passion definitely shines through in all facets and every conversation and every interaction that we have. And I think people do latch on to that as well. Yeah, you have to be your own pro- project's biggest champion because if you don't believe in it, why should other people? Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to do the first episode? A little over like, a year. Like the first, yeah, the first chapter? Yeah, the very first thing you put out for Bucketheads. Yeah, Actually, each, each, one, each one's Andy, clocking it around a year. I know you have an exact... Yeah, sorry, I just, I have to correct myself. It was a year and a half because we started filming it in September 2020 and we released in, wait, am I kidding myself? We released in May 2021, so it was actually only like seven months. Yeah, I think, I think around a year, give or take, you know, three, four months is, is pretty typical for us. Like the original uh, short film took one, well, we filmed September long 2017th and we premiered at Dragon Con September uh, uh, long 2018. Dude, we used to be crazy fast. Look at us now. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Sc- scope creep, man. The scope yeah. is creeping. This is backwards. I, uh, I, I, Do you guys know how far... I was just going to say, do you know how far up like this has been seen? Like, do you know if George Lucas has seen this or Favreau or like, you know, anybody at Lucas? I don't know what to believe anymore, Dan. I don't know what to believe anymore. I've heard that a few pretty up there Star Wars individuals have watched this and then knowing other people who know those people have then confirmed like, no, I said, yeah, you know, I brought up Bucketheads and they were like, what the heck is that? So, Marco I mean, does have some confirmed uh, situations, Marco. So I can confirm uh, secondhand that Ewan McGregor has seen it and Pedro Pascal has seen it. Um, I can confirm firsthand that Lucasfilm's vice president, Lin-Manuel Brennan, has not seen it, 
because when I asked her, she told me that it sounds cool and awesome, but she literally can't see it. He, she can't watch it because if she does, she might have to do something about that and uh, nobody wants that. So please stop uh, talking to me and go away. I was like, uh, sounds good. Linwin, thanks. She, wow. she, was, she was totally cool. She was totally cool. And I get that. It, it was still, it, it was really cool to just talk to her about it. And she basically said, yeah, keep doing it. Just don't show me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Respectfully so that you guys can one, keep one doing what cool you're doing. Things. Yeah. Well, one of the cool yeah. things is Lucas doesn't go after their fans. Like Paramount has against like the Star Trek shorts and stuff right. that other people have done. And yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good as long as you're not making Star Wars look bad or. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, have we guys, been, We've been very open about, you know, how we use the the fans' money that, that donate to the Patreon. And, you know, we're trying to be as transparent with all of it as we can. Yeah. Were you influenced by any other films? Like, I think the first fan film I remember seeing for Star Wars was Troops, which oh, was yeah. the oh, yes. Pops. Yeah, we, we've actually done a couple of uh, film fests in California with Kevin Rubio, who was the creator of that. Nice. Wow. Um there what's what's the georgia one that came out at like the same time as the original uh um it was you know the one i'm talking i know the one you're talking about um oh god damn it i can't remember okay i'll i'll tell my little piece here and you you find the name of it um so this is probably the biggest one that influenced me at least personally i i'm i think it influenced marco as well but you know there was lots of fan films we did watch we wanted to do our research and make sure we knew at least the quality that we kind of had to attain to rise to the top. Um, and this group of, of film students out of Georgia, uh, I think out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, came out with a very similar tone, theme, style Star Wars fan film, but from Rebel Grunt's perspectives. And it looks like it's a battle on Scarif, I think. Um, and they did a great job with it. And, you know, upon repeat viewings, I, I see a lot of flaws and issues. Like, I have studied that thing hard because it. I think they put a trailer out as we had put a trailer out for the first short film, and it was kind of a race to who was going to release theirs first. And I think we even connected with one or two of the guys uh, at one point, you know, gave them some congrats and whatnot. But um, they, they had a really quality piece, at least as far as um, – visual showcase goes and we definitely were looking at that as a sort of okay like either ours is going to take off or theirs is going to take off and both did uh and this film is called star wars odyssey odyssey that's the one yeah which is again a little bit i think more of a lackluster story not to to try and um you know down talk their film or anything but just didn't have the I think the same punch as, as Buckethead's, which I'm thankful for because we released at the same time, but I still thought it was a really awesome piece that I, uh, I, I was definitely keeping a close eye on as we released Buckethead's. And it was very much the inverse of our story. It was the story about rebel soldiers uh, fighting the war on the ground, whereas ours was the stormtroopers fighting the ground, uh, war on the ground. Right. Yeah. And there, there are, there's just so many good ones out there, honestly. Um, we've seen, we've watched, I, I don't even know how many at this point. I probably watched 20 or 30 different short films uh, just to, to see what was out there. That's awesome. Did you ever those come across rookie numbers? Uh, you gotta, you gotta pump up those numbers, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Did, did you ever come across Binks, a Star Wars story? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Sounds we, familiar. We, we did a, we did a mock-up trailer for a, 
for a Jar Jar Binks movie, and it was <laughs> it was submitted to the the fan films competition a number of years ago. This was probably like seven years ago, maybe now or something. It was a while ago. Anyway, it's so bad, but it's so funny at the same time. Didn't we just had a joke, you know, doing it all. You know, so it was, you, it was a laugh. You voice, didn't you voice Jar Jar Binks? In I, I, we took turns, oh my, my myself, God, that's and amazing. yeah, yeah, I did the Emperor, and you know, <laughs> telling the the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise, and we, you know, we have, uh, you know, a hooded, cloaked person walking through this. Uh, this is, you know, like this, like row of candle, like tea light candles and on the walls, like a George Lucas, like shrine. And then, you know, he whips off his hood and it's just a rubber jar dry mask with the creepiest looking dents in it. And it looks so bad. And oh, anyway, it was, it was quite funny to do, but, uh, the, the joy perfect. of doing it. I just found it. I'm, I'm totally going to watch this. <laughs> it's, it's all for laughs. Be proud but. of it, Josh. Be proud. Yeah, don't <laughs> undersell yourself, Josh. We had a, we had a crew of like three people and, uh, probably did did it within the course of three days so you know it was oh, it was a laugh it was a I laugh it. yeah but that's that's the beauty of star wars fan films like you know you have something that just a few friends got together and you know had fun doing a weekend or a month and then you have like bucket heads where it's like you know high production value and like a year and a year and a half like you have the gamut yeah. of just fans coming together and doing something that they love and putting their hearts into it and it shows yeah. it's all there on the screen yeah, honestly, as much as uh, I also, you know, I, I think every Star Wars fan has um, some issues with Disney and how they've what they've done with the stories and, and, and the universe. But I do have to always really pat them on the back for upholding that and, and not um, going after the fan films for Star Wars that, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Dan has said, just like so many other properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, I, you know, before the Disney era, I think it was like Lucasfilm encouraged even even more. I think every year they held a a fan films awards and they've done it sort of less so as time's gone by. But um, yeah, George, I don't think really cared a whole lot about, about fan films. Like, you know, he not like in a bad way, he just didn't care about, you know, taking them down. You know, he's mm-hmm. really sort of almost, yeah, I guess encouraged it in a way with the whole fan film. Yeah. Thing. It's definitely not Disney didn't come up with that idea on their own for sure. That, that was a holdover from yeah. um, taking over Lucasfilm uh, LucasArts, but, I'm just glad that they're, you know, at least maintaining that relationship with the fandom. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the The second episode is set one year later after the, the first one. And we get to see uh, Coruscant in the, in this, in this episode and uh, specifically level 1313, a little nod to the video game that we all mm-hmm. wanted to have and never got <laughs> a wonderful indeed, Easter indeed. egg. Oh, yeah. You see us. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's where our timeline really fractured when we didn't get 1313 and everything else sort of went, went downhill. I bet right. you there's like a much better universe out there where we got 1313 and yeah. the world is look, it's just in a much better state because of it. Mm-hmm. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it too. I'm a yeah. believer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can you, um, can you guys elaborate on the work maybe put into sort of the, the sets, perhaps uh, kind of what was involved in filming that, that sequence, the stormtroopers raiding that, that kind of sort of concrete style building, uh, and also, if you can talk about the lady eating the noodles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I love that. I yeah. love that little uh, button on that yeah, scene. Totally. Oh, boy. Andy, do you want to go first? Or? Uh, sure. I mean, yeah, Marco touched on this a little bit. Um, but when we originally conceptualized 1313, 
you know, knowing that just as you guys have pointed out, we wanted to have a little bit of a nod to a long lost video game that oh so many nerds wanted to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we did think of just doing something relatively simple for 1313 originally where like the location that we shot it in had kind of the concrete area um, the opening of the building where the thug encounter happens a lot of that um, texture existed there already and, and we were kind of planning on doing something like that but with the lead up to that being much more simple and our construction coordinator just sort of said, no, I think I can knock this out of the park. Why don't we transition this entire upstairs of this warehouse to be uh, like a half a city block on 1313? Um, so that was stupidly cool, much wilder than anything we possibly could have imagined. It also only really happened because uh, so very many large shows around Vancouver have donated uh, additional and wasted materials to us. Um, so I'm not more gonna, willingly than others. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna necessarily name names here. Some of them uh, were more willingly than others, but for real, these were donations, and we took ultimately probably, I want to say at least ten, twelve, fifteen, five ton truckloads worth of materials. How'd you guys store uh, from these various large shows? Uh, it in lived the warehouse because I've been yeah, to the warehouse. Same warehouse. I, I just have so many questions. Well, so the, the entire upstairs, there's a big section of it that is 1313, and there's still a very large room that we walled off that it holds a ton of material. And we, we also now have two additional uh, lockers uh, at an airport that, um, I don't know why I call them lockers. They're, they're, they're big warehouse, uh, like airplane hangar things that hold really, some extra material as well. really so. helps when the owner of the airport is a big Star Wars fan. And again, Man. asking nicely, Star Wars fan, it just works out every That's time. so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty crazy. But so, so with all of those things coming together, we were able to build this massive uh, 1313 set. Um, <laughs> from there, I mean, it was just a, a matter of figuring out how we wanted to stage and, and you know, make that a bigger scene than sort of... It, intended but I, I always Andy, I, it took three months to build that an additional three months to what we had planned and that was the scope creep me. man yeah the scope <laughs> creep is crazy we we love it we live with it it you know that's how this thing becomes what it is yeah but there was i i had always planned in that scene to have um someone of note preferably um for for those who don't know mayumi uh yoshida was the uh japanese woman at the noodle bar uh, who's also played the crown princess on Man in the High Castle, uh, the Japanese crown princess. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of wanted someone of note to just have a very small little um, uh, cameo in there and kind of break up the, the tense uh, situation mm. of the fight. <laughs> so when Mayumi agreed to it, I was so over the moon, and I made sure that I told her right away that her hair was going to get absolutely destroyed, yeah. and I was going to make her look terrible. But that was like the point. <laughs> <laughs> but she was just uh, just like you, son of a bitch. I'm in. <laughs> she was so in. Yeah, there was no hesitation. You know, it was awesome. I, I'm actually currently um, watching just, that show now too, The Man in the High Castle. I, I just I just oh, got to awesome. season two, so yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, fantastic! I worked on that show. Fantastic show. I loved it all. And yeah, when you see the Crown Princess, that's Mayumi. That's the same uh, same gal. Awesome. Yeah. I will keep that in mind. Uh, just to bring it back to thirteen thirteen, real quick. Um, the the visual the the visual material that did get released from that show, namely the the two main trailers and then the i think was e3 gameplay footage 
vastly informed the uh, CG sequence that has our ship and our heroes go down the down that shaft traveling to level 1313 because at the time it was all the reference that we really had because Andor hasn't hadn't been really re- released yet which gave us so much more uh great insight into what Coruscant looked like and honestly Kenobi as as well like that really I wish we had that back then it would have inc- just informed so many more choices but mm-hmm. um that uh the the travel down the uh shaft to the lower levels was an incredibly fun thing for us because we decided we wanted to do that with uh, miniatures and motion control. So the ship in that sequence is always a a real actual miniature uh, in a 3D environment. And we used um, a techno dolly motion control arm to film it uh, in a way that it looks like it's actually flying. And unfortunately, we ran out of time at the end in the post VFX side of things because we filmed so many different passes of that ship with different lighting uh, that was really interactive as it goes down the shaft. And now these passes ultimately made it into the final comp, unfortunately. But as I said earlier, there will be a special edition and that's definitely one of the things that's very high up on my priority list to to integrate into that one for the full release. Mm. That's I also awesome. I just want to add to my favorite my favorite part of that whole build I think is that when Caleb uh, our construction coordinator really started talking to us about the vision of having it be like a, a half a city block there was a load bearing beam in the middle of the room oh, yeah. and uh, we all kind of saw it as a as a great challenge to incorporate because we didn't think the look of it was right just to leave Baron for 1313 but we couldn't actually remove it because it you know held up the roof <laughs> <laughs> And that was around the time that we started working with LED panels and LED technology. And instead, what we did was we built a, a like octagonal box around it. Um, and it could hold on each side four one by one, like one foot by one foot LED panels high and became like a scrolling advert pillar of Oribesh ads that had ads for the various shops that we had built on the streets. We also put a lot of uh, attention into what all those shops were doing. One was like a droid shop. One was uh, um, uh, like a steam power facility of some kind. We had the noodle bar. We had the strip club. We had a couple of abandoned houses. We had the apartment complex. Like every every door actually had meaning to it, and and we wanted to incorporate those businesses in that scrolling advert pillar. So there was a lot of of fun conceptual design around that thing. I have one more hidden little Easter egg story about Coruscant. Uh, at the very beginning, when we first uh, are on the ground with our troopers and the camera tilts down to find them, uh, there's a bunch of characters in the background that are comped in later. We did like an elements shoot, uh, just had a bunch of our friends in like shitty clothes uh, pretending to be vagrants in 1313. And if you look very closely at the right edge of frame, you can see a really big guy carry a much smaller guy with no shoes away. And that is actually me getting carried away by um, one of our friends who's like, gosh, like six foot five. I don't know. He's, he's massive. And we're like, it would be funny if he threw me over his back and carried me around. Um, and I actually lost my shoes doing that. And it's, it's in the final cut. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm actually, yeah. Speaking of Easter eggs and such, is there any more that maybe uh, we haven't talked about already that, that you might want to kind of spill before the final chapter comes out? 
Well, we always try and I mean, I say always try. I actually have fought putting a cameo of myself in this thing for a very, very long time. But I do have a cameo coming out in uh, the, the upcoming chapter. So that'll be pretty fun. And I I'll, all I'll say is that I can grow a pretty fun mustache. Um, <laughs> it is a real mustache and enjoy that. Um, there, I, noticed, there... I noticed one fun Easter egg. Uh, I think in the, either the first episode or the prologue, you had a grenade that had 501 on it. Yes. That was nice. Yeah, absolutely. Got to throw those little Easter eggs in there. Um, the uh, Unfortunately, with the way the releases happened, we had designed uh, KR8 Crate after the Crate Dragon before the Mandalorian came out with their Crate Dragon episode. So I just want to throw that out there, that we reincorporated Crate Dragons back into Star Wars first. And... <laughs> I'm always really sad that they got to release that episode before we were ready to release ours because yeah. it was going to be such a cool Easter egg. Like, yeah. Outer Rim Garrison here has the Crate Dragon as their symbol. Reintroduce it, and then the Mandalorian just came and stole our thunder. Oh, but vice versa, Shoot. we did the Crate design first before they did it in Andor for the um, prison arc um, episodes. There's well, like that's a brief a, that's Outer Rim Garrison. I can't steal that thunder. That's not even Bucketheads. That's Outer Rim. Well, but, you know, the, the crate droid is what I'm saying. Is, is Oh, yes. Well, yeah. once it was something that we actually were able to release first because Disney has this weird um, sixth sense to release something after we've already filmed it, but before we've released it, that is just very mm. similar to something that we, we just did. So maybe we have a mole on the inside that talks to Disney about all our great ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome. Who made that little droid, that little awesome droid that's like hanging on the back of the trooper suit? Yeah, That would is be that... the BC Droid Builders Association, uh, or There's... at least some members of that orga organization that we approached about this show and we basically just asked him like hey would you like to design a droid because we thought it would be great to have a droid character in this to make it feel even more Star Wars it was like one of the three pillars that we uh, we jotted down originally about like how can we make this feel as Star Wars as possible and droids was one of them uh, so we just asked about the feasibility of it and I think they took about three or four months to come up with a design and then figured how to actually fabricated and puppeted on set because everything you see with crate is completely practical uh, we actually have a 3d cg model of him as well but i don't think was ever used even for a single shot victoria, uh, i don't think so victoria, even, even the, the floating shots victoria has been very clear that it's a her actually marco <laughs> i have to correct you you're right you're right my apologies i'm misgendered or right <laughs> it's a cool design because it's a nice blend of like the imperial probe droid and then a mix of the stormtrooper armor and it just like blends in yeah they did yeah. a fantastic job designing it mm -hmm. our uh our art director terry chewy during the design phase which was a ton of fun because we had to figure out you know how big could this thing be to fit all these gadgets in it how many of them would we need to, like do they all fit in one um at one point crate had little pincer arms but that went away um, it was a really cool design phase but Terry Chewy at one point put forward a really good suggestion, um, you know, just thinking about real-world scenarios and police units and how they have canine units, and, mm. and they have their own dog who has a police vest. And, a, and, and so that, I think, informed a lot of kind of wanting Crate to resonate with the Stormtroopers specifically and, and have the same sort of, you know, model and, and armor color and everything. 
Mm, gotcha. Uh, speaking of sort of practical elements and such, uh, there were a ton of really great costumes. You know, uh, stormtroopers aside, obviously we had uh, the Ewoks in the in the prologue. There's been some awesome officer costumes and the Death Troopers and and uh, you know and um, even the on course on you know the aliens, the makeup, like just so many so many cool things. Um, who was involved with sort of getting all that? And, uh, you know, I'm curious, where did you find people to put on Ewok costumes and <laughs> where, where did they get those? And then secondly, just who is responsible for all this like amazing makeup and stuff for those, those, uh, uh, those actors on set for, for the Coruscant sequence. Uh, the makeup has been a culmination of, of a number of folks, um, Heather Morledge and uh, my wife, uh, Nicole Olivares, uh, have headed the department for all of the episodes, I believe. Um, not specifically together, but between the two of them, they've, they've headed for all the various episodes. And then we've had a, a number of different makeup artists coming in, um, you know, sometimes to help with, with the general makeup. Um, other times, like we had, uh, the Zabrak, we had a, a special makeup artist come in to help specifically do the Zabrak for chapter two. Uh, so it has been, again, uh, just a, a massive army of people yeah. assisting with all that kind of stuff. But, um, the Ewoks, if I'm not mistaken, our 501st members is that right yeah that's correct so the ewoks are three ladies that are rather small in statue and they were jawas like i know them as mm. jawas um but when we came to shoot the prologue in the woods and we really wanted ewoks i'm like i feel like if i ask them nicely <laughs> and tell them they'll be in the movie they'll just figure it out. And wow. they did because they were really excited to be in the movie and, and build the Ewok suits uh, just for that. And now they are both Jawas and Ewoks. Wow. And all the other creatures you see on 1313 are mostly the result of Aaron Harrison, who is a costume designer, who's got a massive stash of just rubber masks and, you know, bits and pieces from various creatures because he's a, he's a costuming enthusiast in particular when it comes to uh, horror and, and Halloween. And um, we obviously have a couple of callbacks there, like our devil horned uh, friend who's in the background is uh hmm. I don't think it's it's actually an, an original mask of uh, that character that briefly pops up in A New Hope in the Monster Cantina, but it's close <laughs> enough that we were like, we have to put him in there. Yeah, yeah. the devil people. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and Matt Madison Bissett was another uh, individual who came out a little bit for us, uh, and she brought an awesome mask of a oh, oh gosh, I'm I'm losing the the property here. Um, Oh, the Mass Effect type looking uh, Mass Effect, thank you, yes. Yeah, she adjusted or she altered a, a Mass Effect alien mask for us mm -hmm. as well, uh, which you see in 1313. So, yeah, there, there really was a, a lot of different people um, lending hands to various aspects of, of the makeup. Um, One more, Andy. The... Um... The, the noodle bar chef that's actually Terry Chewy oh. and our, our art director and this is this is another great example of how this project just has a mind of, of its own um, the noodle bar was never originally part of this it was um, I don't know who pushed for a noodle bar but someone did be like sure that sounds cool and then Terry like called me frantically was 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 just like I'm gonna make a noodle bar chef and it's gonna be 
a Mon Calamari and I've already, I've already made the costume because I just really want to make this and it's in the movie now. You can't change my mind. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so it's great, Terry. Thanks. That <laughs> is know? amazing. I'm like, yeah. Like he built the, the, the Mon Calamari head with animatronic eyes that blink. It looks you know, so like good. you just, you can't, yeah, did, you can't yeah. ask for this amazing stuff amazing. to be made. You know what I mean? People are just literally like, here, I have this awesome thing. Can we put it in? Awesome. Thank you. Oh, that's so good. It's almost like you never want to make any other content that's not Star Wars because you'd, you'd have to like, it's addictive. Yeah. You'd have to like, pay people or force people or yep. convince people but it's incredible how many people just love the content and just like you said on their own on their own will like i want to make this mask yeah and contribute to the project it's it's incredible that's so cool i, lo- I love that scene too he's just like humming chopping up chopping some food. Up. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good yeah. i love it um and the stormtroopers of course you know highlighting those as the you know the heroes of the of this story uh, you know, they all looked, uh, uh, you know, amazing as well. And uh, I was just curious, are all of those costumes 501st? Yes, except for two main actors. Uh, Troy, we actually built him his own suit. In the short film, he wore mine, but uh, he's just got much stronger thighs than me. So it was very uncomfortable for him to wear it. So we built him his own. And then Victoria, Victoria is wearing uh, my suit in the in the show in season one okay i think if i'm not mistaken the only imperial costumes that are not 501st uh that we use are the stormtrooper flight suits like their um fatigues Mm. uh those we just wanted some you know what would they be wearing when they're not in armor well probably some kind of army fatigue so we kind of came up with that one and then uh in the upcoming episode um where we'll be seeing gallius rax Ooh. That is also an original uh, outfit but, coming up. But this is this is actually true. Um, this is where I was leading with it. Yeah, the it. 501st <laughs> Legion actually contacted us uh, after seeing the first promo images we released of Gallius Rax in our show and want to use him as the CRL, the costume reference library, for that costume going forward because oh. there really is no real-life reference of him. There's just some artist friend, artist's rendering. And, and Nicholas Harrison, who plays him, designed this himself based on what's out there in terms of references and built it. That's yeah, so like cool. I got to throw that out there again. This was this was another case where we like hired Nick to be Gallius Rax, and he was like, "Hey, I have I can't remember if he had the design in the works already, or but he was just like, I've got this costume that I've always really wanted to like wear for something like this. Could we use this?" And we were like, "Oh my god, yeah, it's awesome! Like, of course." So yet again, like just you know, individuals, uh, uh, supporters of the project, really contributing and making this thing what it is. That's so good. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see Gallery Show. I was actually going to ask you guys about that. Is there any teases for Chapter Three? But that's a that's a big one. Um, yeah. When is when is uh, Chapter Three coming out? Is you said it said Life Day on the on the trailer, but uh, some some audience members. Yeah, might Marco, not know. doesn't it say Life Day on the trailer? <laughs> yeah. When is Life Day? Yeah, Marco. Um, why don't so you clarify that for some people? <laughs> when we shot this in January, we were like, I mean, we have like. 11 months left in this year. How long could it possibly take? So I just got a call from our visual effects supervisor yesterday and he was like, I think we can wrap this up in late February. That's what I have right now. It's virtually impossible to predict when this will 
be finally finished just because everyone's a volunteer and they can only dedicate so much time, which makes planning virtually impossible. I really wanted this to be ready for Life Day, but at this point, I don't think it's going to happen. So we need to release a second trailer and just tell people it's probably going to be May the 4th, 2024. And I'm probably just digging myself a new hole, but we'll see. I, I want to clarify one point of this, which is that Life Day was not anything Marco and I ever spoke about, talked about, agreed this was going to be the release date. February was always much more realistic in my mind. You know, this being the fourth one of these we've released. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did I I got a call from someone or a text from someone or something after Marco had made this announcement on uh, I, I guess our Facebook page or something. No, it was it was in the trailer, and the reason it happened was because oh, you put it in the trailer with Nicholas Harrison, yes. who plays our um, Galley Strax, called me and was like, you know, wouldn't it be really neat if you put that in? And I'm like, yeah, you know what, that'd be really funny. Let me put that in, and here we are. Yeah, so the, <laughs> so the trailer aired. It's his I, fault. It's his fault. The trailer aired. He didn't run it by me at all. All of a sudden, I'm getting messages from people being like, "What's Life Day?" And I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking." about and they're like well you're releasing on life day and i was like are we what is that when is that i get yeah. the same call from tom as well who's over the effects voice is just like marco i don't know if we can hit this i'm like i mean you have something to work towards at least now so marco's really dug himself a hole on this one and whenever oh, questions come, come on up this about, happens all the time whenever it questions come up about life put. day marco gets to answer the life day question i mean this is actually a great question for you guys is life day the release day of the christmas special or is it Christmas? Oh, I, it's, it's the really, I think so. It's November 17th, um, but I, it's always a bit confusing, I think, for us here in Canada because our Thanksgiving is, is in October and Thanksgiving in the States is in November. And I think Life Day is, even though it's sort of the holiday special, it's sort of the actual holiday and kind of what it means is, is kind of more oriented around Thanksgiving. So there's right. usually a lot of confusion with like the holiday special being a Christmas thing rather than mm. Thanksgiving. And, you know, it doesn't really matter anyways. But um, <laughs> Life Day, if we want to be precise, uh, would be ab- about one month from now. So uh, I think you guys might so, be better oh, off God, with the, the better February the release date. Back to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. All I can say is we will release something on Life Day. It just won't be Chapter 3. Right. Maybe it could be this podcast. New trailer. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Save our bacon. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Oh man. I well I'll pitch I'll pitch an idea to you. Um celebration is coming out next year. Are you guys gonna be hanging around celebration Japan or or um you know any I any thought s- it was twenty twenty five. Is it twenty twenty five? Okay, it might be. Maybe yeah, I got my ears sure wrong. They, they they made it two years. Oh, is it two years? Okay. All right. All right, cool. Well you guys think of any 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 you know, if this is going to be a multi-season thing, I mean, is there any plans to perhaps take this project to one of the next big celebrations and kind of make a, you know, make a make an entrance, if you will? I mean, I I saw the amazing booth you guys had set up at Fan Expo. I uh, uh, there was a big lineup to get a, get a photo in there, so I, I I sadly just had to walk by, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I really appreciated kind of seeing seeing all the love for the, this project there. Uh, so yeah, I was just curious. Like, is there any 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 sort of ambitions to sort of have something going on at Celebration one of these years? I mean, it would be totally awesome. We did actually apply for something at Celebration this this year. 
and they never got back to us, which sounds like a no. But we will try again, see if they'll have us for 2025. I kind of doubt it because Star Wars Celebration is really all about celebrating the official Star Wars and mm. not these uh, these scoundrels, fan filmmakers. Uh, but, you know, yeah, we, we'll just keep trying and maybe one day we'll have a little presence there. In the meantime, we will definitely be back for Fan Expo early next year. What's the future of Bucketheads? What do you guys plan on, like, once you're all finished this, are you going to make more more seasons or are you going to try something else? Are you going to make a, well, a Star Trek fan film or a... Mass Effect. We, oh my God, uh, I would actually love to make a Mass Effect fan film. I just don't think I could make the one I would want to make without a billion dollars. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think Eddie and I had to uh, finally swallow, swallow some hard pills in regards to Bucketheads and, and its feasibility. Um, effectively, we, we wrote an entire season, five episodes, 40 minutes each, and it's been three years and we haven't even finished episode one. So if you extrapolate that timeline, it would take us about 15 years to finish the entire first season that we conceived. And as much as I would like to see the story through, I just don't think that is a feasible timeline for anyone involved. Be it's it us easy. You or just have each episode or the people who actually three, make you it. You just have all your actors age three years between each episode. <laughs> we follow Troy as he gets older and older. You, you can have it lead into The Force Awakens 29 years later. <laughs> I mean, that sounds awesome, but it's definitely it's a different rewrite, story to what we wrote. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to rewrite a couple things to make that work. Um, but yeah, it's um, we're, we're going to wrap up this first episode, which is effectively a pilot that shows what this could be, if Disney would feel like it, wink, wink. Um, but after this, we will likely set our sights on different Star Wars stories that are smaller in scope and can actually be realized in under a year. Mm. So yeah. there will be definitely more more Star Wars to come from us, uh, but Bucketheads will probably end with episode one. And and we do want to go out with a bang, though, because we do really believe that there is a, a, a awesome story to be told there that we're only just digging into. Uh, so we do very much want to pitch to Disney, uh, see if the, you know, the story is something that they're interested in um, taking, especially as we can see they're putting out so many different uh, types of Star Wars stories right now, so we're hopeful that Disney, you know, will see the the fandom that it has spawned and and the quality of the story itself and be interested in it. But like Marco said, we do have many other short stories in the Star Wars universe conceptualized in various stages of development, and do want to uh, kind of run a bit more with our uh, uh, sister series, Tales from the Five Hundred First, which is an anthology series um, that just gives us a bit more freedom. You know, not having to have actors, you know, work with us for seven years, but look like they've aged a day <laughs> as one example of a problem. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Amazing skincare routine. <laughs> yeah. It's all that, all that uh, product placement cream, whatever product you want to go with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we take the enough blue of, milk. They're, they're just rubbing blue milk, blue milk. all over their yeah. faces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> blue milk. The blue milk. The blue milk. Uh, yeah. You, you had an Easter egg in there for blue milk, right? Indeed. Oh, we did. Yes, we no, even I... made a we we made a little commercial for like um. I, that, yeah. I think it's an energy drink. This is Blue this, that was so yeah. cool. You hyper fuel for the day. It's another <laughs> yeah. fun little Easter egg we put in there. Um, uh, fun fact that was voiced by the official 
uh, Voice of Cineplex, uh, the theater chain here in Canada. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, you guys got to upload that as a it's separate video to your channel. Just the Honestly, we should. There's, there's a lot of, like, sort of additional things that we want to do around Bucketheads like that, like getting some of these fun sound bites out. It's just we, we, we only have so much focus in one, you know, day, and, and it does have to go towards wrapping up Chapter 3 right now. Yeah. And uh, setting our sights on the next short film uh, that we'll be filming, which is uh, from the Tales from the 501st series. Awesome. And that is, um, is that sort of linked as well with uh, Twin Sons, you know, with the the same sort of Patreon, you know, su- supporting that, that you have going on right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's, that's the uh, intention is just transition that over. So people are still getting uh, quality Star Wars stories uh, from those donations, um, but it just becomes more manageable for us to put these things out there. Awesome. Um, does anyone else have any, any questions before we kind of wrap it up here? Or? Oh, everyone's good. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Uh, sweet. Your, Thanks. your favorite Star Wars fact. I, I just, I, can I ask that one question? I, I'm always curious because I get to learn a little bit more. There's so many weird Star Wars facts. I'm just curious what all your guys' favorite Star Wars facts are. Oh gosh. Mm. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you mine just to get your, your okay, brain sure. turning. Yeah. Yeah. It, now I, I do have to ask, this is a canonical fact. I'm going to put this out there. Is this a PG podcast? What's the, what's the. I mean, we can, yeah, PG, yeah, PG, PG 13. I mean, if it's an F bomb, then, then I might bleep it out, but, uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. You got, you got the bleep function ready. Uh, so this is canonical. I will say my favorite fact always of star Wars is learning that the style of music, the cantina band plays is is actually called jizz, not jazz, (laughs) jizz. That is canonical Star Wars. Just, <laughs> That's Josh, my favorite fact. Thanks, George. The bleep there. <laughs> it's like the, the robot yeah. chicken style. Like yeah. the bleep is like a minute late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That is that is pretty hilarious. I, I you know I, I I don't know if I can top that. I mean, I, I recently have been reading Rise of the Red Blade, which is one of the more recent novels that came out, and uh, I. I you know, found out that there was uh, this, this, the main character has two hearts in her body. I was like, oh, that's an interesting little thing. You know, I just didn't really, I don't really dwell on the anatomy of every alien creature in Star Wars, believe it or not. But I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) that's a good one. Um, I wonder if any alien creature out there has multiple different reproductive organs, like uh, the (laughs) the original, uh, what was that Arnold Schwarzenegger space movie? Uh, Total Recall. Total Recall. Yeah, Total yeah. Recall. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. I've got, I've got a Star Wars fact to share. Oh yeah, go for it. Um, uh, do you guys remember? I think in the '90s when uh, Lucasfilm Publishing was just pumping out lots of uh, literature material to, oh, yeah. to get us to buy stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think they had the. Uh, those like guides to like guides to worlds and guides to droids. Oh yeah. My favorite of course yeah. was the guides yeah. to vehicles and starships. Oh the, yeah. The, uh, the Imperial class star destroyer is approximately 1,600 meters long. That's which, so, when you so think big. of that, that's a it's very, like... very large spacecraft. But when you look at an X wing and you think of the packaging considerations that that's supposed to have a hyperdrive and shields, I go, where does he fit his luggage? <laughs> <laughs> you know i i no, saw no. I, I, and since we're talking to filmmakers on this podcast 
Willful suspension of disbelief. I rest my case. Always, always. always. <laughs> I, I saw this crazy YouTube video where they did that scaling thing. You know, it's all done mm -hmm. with 3D geometry models, yeah. all the scale, right? And yeah, seeing how big sort of like the Star Destroyer Venator class and, you know, the Executor. Oh, and yeah. It's, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's huge. Like, it like just dwarfs New York and like so, so many things. Yeah. I was like, wow. It's pretty mind blowing when you think about it, because like when you're you're in these space battles, it like in in the in the movies and and so on and so forth in the games, like getting a sense of scale for these ships is so hard, right? Until you kind of line it up next to like a, a man made actual like real yeah. world like building or whatever, and then you're like, oh dang, that is that is massive, like that's yeah. huge, yeah. So, and then you then you think of Rise of Skywalker and all of those star destroyers rising. <laughs> of, uh, oh man, what's the that? Mexico. <laughs> yes, yes, right. Okay. Just imagine how much material that is. Yeah, yeah. They, they would have to mine an entire planet so there's nothing but a speck of dust left. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I've taken up a lot of you guys' time. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there um, any how can how can the fans help you guys out with you know putting out bucket heads and your next projects lined up and uh, maybe what are the what are the socials that people can follow all the all that news at? The best way to support us is to head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Twin Sun Film Foundation. That's Sun singular because there's two, so clearly <laughs> it's a singular sun. Uh, Twin Sun Film Foundation on Patreon. Uh, you can help us there in various ways to support the shows and get some sweet swag alongside. Uh, other than that, you can find us on social media at Bucketheads Film. We are on Facebook, Twitter, or sorry, the platform formerly known as Twitter and Instagram. Awesome! Thank you so much. I'm, that's I'll, it. That's I'll, it, baby. That's it. Yeah, I'll give you. Uh, I'll, 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 what I'll do is, if you can send me those those links and and things, I'll put them in the description of this podcast episode so that people can find them and um, and and check all that out. So, uh, thank you so much to all of you guys coming on. Uh, you know, uh, Marco, Andy, Adam, Calvin, Dan. Thank you all so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. That was a ton of thank fun. You. Thank you. See you next time. Awesome. Guys. See you next time. All right. A big thank you to our listeners at home. Thank you so much for tuning in and make sure you go and check out uh, Bucket Heads on YouTube. If you've just been listening to this entire podcast and haven't seen it yet, then uh, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but go and check it out. Uh, go and subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, hit the Patreon link in the description below. Show some uh, twin sons fa film foundation some love and and uh, support the fan film and uh, and the project uh, go and follow the socials on twitter and uh, so on and so forth and uh, you know the routine ours are at SWScape podcast you can find us on uh, twitter slash x whatever it's called these days as well as instagram and our emails SWScape podcast at gmail.com so make sure you shoot us a reply as to how you liked bucket heads and uh, any further questions you might have for these uh, lovely guests in here about the project and uh, you know we're uh, hopefully maybe maybe we'll uh, we'll get them on again uh, when part three comes out for another chat uh, really enjoyed talking with uh, all these fine folks today so we will catch you all in the next episode of star wars escape but lots to look forward to may the force be with you <laughs>